My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. It's been Skidoo. I mean, welcome to LWAFL-O-I-T. Skidoo. 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 My name, 
with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Great. Hi. It's uh, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube, where we skidoo, skidoo. <laughs> we watch a full-length movie on YouTube, and we want you to watch the movie with us and listen to our podcast at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we are broadcasting streaming first on Mutiny Radio. Community action, justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. County gave new industry water, will they waste pollute then move away? They won't pay to bring lines to us, drinking arsenic. In our wells each day, justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Industry uses water up a river, trickle left when it comes through town. So much careless building and cutting, healthy rivers, greater clogged and brown. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of my Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. 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 Clean water safe for all.
Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me dio dos luceros que cuando los abro perfecto distingo lo negro del blanco y en el alto cielo su fondo estrellado. En las multitudes del hombre que yo amo. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado el oído que en todo su ancho graba noche y días, grillos y canarios. Martillos, turbinas, ladridos, chubascos y la voz tan tierna de mi bien amado. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado el sonido y el abecedario. Con en las palabras que pienso y declaro, madre, amigo, hermano y luz alumbrando la ruta del alma del que estoy amando. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto. Me ha dado la marcha de mis pies cansados. Con ellos anduve ciudades y charcos, playas y desiertos, montañas y llanos. Y la casa tuya, tu calle y tu patio. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto.
me dio el corazón que agita su marco cuando miro el fruto del cerebro humano cuando miro el bueno tan lejos del malo cuando miro el fondo de tus ojos claros gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto me ha dado la risa y me ha dado el llanto así yo distingo dicha de quebranto los dos materiales que forman mi canto y el canto de ustedes que es el mismo canto y el canto de todos que es mi propio canto Gracias a la vida. And with that, let me wish you a good morning. This is the B. And you're tuned to mutinyradio.fm. And at this point, you're tuned to Labor and Love Radio, the show where we tell you how it is for working people. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. This is the B. My name is Bill Morgan. I'm a member of two unions. <clears throat> Every week, we present, uh, I don't want to say smorgasbord. That's a little... Anyway, labor opinion, labor news, labor history. And what's going on in working places, both here and all around California and the nation, and even through our uh, radio labor connection, what's going on all over the world to working people. In every time, in every place, working people have insisted on their rights. They had a, a feature about the oldest labor action. Let me look for that one again. Let's look at some of the things. We call them credos. These serve as a... Uh, an introduction to the show, if you haven't heard it before, and a uh, reinforcement to those that you have. Here's the first one, Robert Reich, former Secretary of Labor under Clinton. 
This is your reminder that the richest 1% own half the stock market and the richest 10% own almost all, 92% of it. When politicians brag about the stock market, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of us inhabit. This is Utah Phillips talking about labor education. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. Utah Phillips. Books. Utah Phillips, of course, was a famous um, anarchist, singer, kind of with Woody Guthrie spirit. Uh, here's one. The penalty for rape, the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape. That's when you know it's a war on women. That's how you know it's a war on women. Mm. Okay. You got it. What's our next one? Immigrants. What about immigrants? Okay, this is from Democratic Socialists of L.A. Can I tell you a secret? Says Jesse Miller. I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without special Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the va welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. Or to quote the famous Chicana artist, Yolanda Lopez. They're not immigrants, they're workers. <laughs> the whole wall, support the illegals, BS is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Hello? 
You're poor because you're not getting paid enough. That money that's supposed to be paid to you for your work is going to somebody else, into somebody else's pocket. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. Because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Democratic Socialists of L.A. You're just not that into politics? Your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics, wouldn't you think? These are from Pity the Poor Nation by Lawrence Ferland Getty. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero. Names to rule the world by force and by torture pity the nation. It knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own pity the nation. Whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed pity the nation. Oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tis of thee. Tears for thee, sweet land of liberty. By Ferlinghetti. Finally, George Sand. This is one we have to keep reminding ourselves of. Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to forget this indignation which is one of the most passionate forms of love. Our indignation as to what's going on in this world and what's going on to our kids and to us. To our next generation. All right. Let's see, let's let's go back a minute. See what did we start with? We started out with Mercedes Sosa was the last one we played. Mercedes Sosa Gracias a la Vida. Thanks be to life. That has given me so much. Before that we played one we always used to play haven't played it for a while but it's just as true now as it was ever you gotta serve somebody no matter what you do you're serving somebody is it gonna be the devil or the lord is it gonna be capital or is it gonna be labor who are you 
Before that, we had from the Fruit of Labor Ensemble, a group of uh, singers, uh, orchestra, band, labor activists in North Carolina. They sang, When Justice Flows Forth Like Water. And of course, we know where that's from. That's from a speech by Martin Luther King, Jr., it's easy enough to talk about Martin Luther King and I talk about honoring him as a civil rights leader, which is absolutely true. A great civil rights leader. And like any great organizer, he made his campaign in the place where the whip comes down. At first, it was out-and-out out segregation. Ugly, nasty segregation. People like Bull Connor or uh, Theodore Bilbo, people like that. Killers of... The killers of <clears throat> all the names escape escaping. Killers of that young boy who supposedly whistled at a woman. The woman later recanted and said it wasn't true. Emmett Till. One of the killers said, "No nigger will ever vote where I live." Wrong again, buddy. Uh, so I want to talk about King. I want to talk about a King that a lot of people don't know. Uh, we look at, at the kids' biographies of King, and we look at the things that are written about him, and it's just as easy for people to talk about him as like I say, a great civil rights leader, a leader of the Negro Revolution, the Black Revolution, and someone who wanted fair and just laws for everyone. Okay, but that's, those things are all true, but that's to miss the point of King, especially in a labor context. Here's labor card number 16, Martin Luther King, born 1929, died 1968. Our needs are labor's needs. Our needs are labor's needs. Decent wages, fair working conditions, livable housing, old age security, the great civil rights leader declared. King re realized that civil rights are meaningless without economic rights. You know, this is the game, see? People say, oh, it's a free country. Well, once you enter into your workplace, it's not free anymore, is it? That's eight hours out of your life where you give up your rights. He said, you know, 
what is it good if I can, you know, go to the same beach as you, but I can't afford to buy a hamburger? Something like that. Many of his closest aides were veterans of the labor movement. Their tactics, like boycotts and sit-ins, had also been used in labor campaigns. In April of 1968, he went to Memphis, Tennessee, to support striking sanitation workers in their struggle for union recognition. Okay, how many of us missed this point? That King died as a result of a labor action. He was in Memphis to support striking sanitation workers who wanted to form a union. In his last speech, which we'll hear some of, he said, support your brother. Maybe he's on strike and maybe you're not. But we go up together or we go down together. Yes, ML King. ML King. All right, let's see if we can find that speech. Here it is. I'm going to pick it up uh, in the middle. And he's beginning to talk about economic activism as a way to assert your rights. He's talking about how black community has $30 billion. Okay, here we go. So as a result of this, we're asking you tonight to go out and tell your neighbors not to buy Coca-Cola in Memphis. Go by and tell them not to buy sealed test milk. Tell them not to buy what is all the bread, Wonder Bread. And what is other bread come to dressing? Tell them not to buy hot bread. As Jesse Jackson has said up to now, only the garbage men have been feeling pain. Now we must kind of redistribute the pain. We are choosing these companies because they have been fan their hiring policies, and we are choosing them because they can begin the process of saying they are going to support the needs and the rights of these men who are on track, and then they can move on town, downtown and tell Mayor Loeb to do what is right. And not only that, we've got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in Tri-State Bank.
We want a bank-in movement in Memphis. Go by the Savings and Loan Association. I'm not asking you something that we don't do ourselves in SCLC. Judge Hooks and others will tell you that we have an account here in the Savings and Loan Association from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. We are telling you to follow what we are doing. Put your money there. You have six or seven black insurance companies here in the city of Memphis. Take out your insurance there. We want to have an insurance in. Now, these are some practical things that we can do. We begin the process of building a great economic base. And at the same time, we are putting pressure where it really hurts. And I ask you to follow through here. Now, let me say as I move to my conclusion. that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, but either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. One day a man came to Jesus. He wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew a little more than Jesus knew and throw him off base. Now that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate. But Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. You remember that a Levite? And the priest passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him, administered first aid, and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man, this was the great man, because he had the capacity to project the eye into the bow and to be concerned about his brother. 
Now, you know, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. The times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get on down to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we would speculate that there was a religious law that one who was engaged in religious ceremonials was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then we began to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem, or down to Jericho rather, to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody paths. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness.
Let us stand with a greater determination. Let us move on. In these powerful days, these days of challenge, to make America what it ought to be, we have an opportunity to make America a better nation. And I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. You know, several years ago, I was in New York City autographing the first book that I had written. While sitting there autographing books, a demented black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, you, Martin Luther King, and I was looking down writing, and I said, yes. The next minute, I felt something beating on my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed by this demented woman. I was rushed to Harlem Hospital. It was a dark Saturday afternoon. That blade had gone through, and the x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood. That's the end of you. It came out in the New York Times the next morning that if I had merely sneezed, I would have died. Well, about four days later, they allowed me, after the operation, after my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out, to move around in the wheelchair in the hospital. They allowed me to read some of the mail that came in, and from all over the states and the world, kind letters came in. I read a few, but one of them I will never forget. I had received one from the president and the vice president. I've forgotten what those telegrams said. I'd received a visit and a letter from the governor of New York, but I've forgotten what that letter said. But there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl, who was a student at the White Plains High School. And I looked at that letter, and I'll never forget it. Said simply, Dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, While it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering, and I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream. 
and taken the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962 when Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama, to see the great movement there if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. And they were telling me. Now it doesn't matter now. It really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning, and as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay. But we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked, and to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats. I talk about the threats that were out. Or what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity, has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land.
So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes. That was uh, King's last speech, of course, and I let it run because uh, he included several labor movement-based comments and admonitions. One of them is uh, boycotting companies that don't treat their workers fairly, that are racist. One of them was putting your money in a bank run by African-Americans. And insurance with your own community, spending your money in your community. He pointed out that the black community had $30 billion in wealth. And if that was directed properly, it could be part of a movement itself. Okay, well, that was King, a beautiful speech. Still brings tears to my eyes. I don't know about yours. Uh, let's take a musical break. I want to play a song before we start talking about Chicago teachers. I want to play a song. Oh, I had it queued up. But let's listen to Labor Radio, the worldwide report. This is what's going on around the world right now in the labor movement. Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, January 14th, 2022. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, what world labor wants in 2022? The need for universal social protection. Fighting the privatization of schools in Africa. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. And you too old to work. Too old to work when you're too old to work. And you're too young to die. This is Radio Labor. The international labor movement has set its agenda for 2022 with calls for decent work, universal protection plans such as pensions and unemployment insurance, and other demands. Sharon Burrell is the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States at the world level. We know that the last couple of years have been very difficult. We've seen not only the convergence of crisis with historic levels of inequality, where people are struggling to survive on insecure work, on low wages, often in unsafe work. We've seen the climate emergency and its impacts growing stronger and stronger with the loss of lives and livelihoods from extreme weather events. And now we've lived through two years almost of a pandemic, a global pandemic, a health crisis. As we continue to fight for a just recovery, a recovery that's based on a new social contract, 
with jobs, jobs and jobs, climate-friendly jobs with just transition. Because we need to see a return to full employment and we need to formalise the absolute dehumanising exploitation of informal work. We need to see fundamental rights. We cannot build any economic or social future on a model that exploits people, workers at the heart of making profit but never sharing it. We must end corporate impunity that mandated due diligence with compliance where corporations have to comply with rights as essential. And we need universal social protection. Without universal social protection, people have no resilience. We need equality of income with minimum living wages and, and indeed uh, strengthen collective bargaining, but we need equality of gender and equality of race. And we need inclusion. We cannot see our world where some people are secure and others aren't, where some groups are excluded, where technology is excluding even more people from a decent world of work and, indeed, connection. We need the sustainability goals, the Paris Climate Agreement realised, and we need a return to democratic rights and freedoms, strong democracies where governments put people and the planet first. That's the fight for 2022. Unions will be there on the front lines, and I'm very proud of our movement that will never give up till we see a future that is safe, secure, just and sustainable. Ms. Burrow mentioned the need for universal social protection plans for workers. The need is described in a recent video released by the International Labour Organization. The ILO is the specialized agency of the United Nations focused on matters of work in the world. It is strongly supported by the international labour movement. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed deep-seated inequalities and significant gaps in social protection everywhere. The ILO's latest World Social Protection Report shows recent developments with new data and statistics. It reveals that only 46.9% of the global population are covered by at least one social protection benefit. This means that barely 18.6% of unemployed workers receive unemployment benefits. Only 26.4% of children and less than 29% of vulnerable persons are covered. A mere third of working-age people have access to sickness benefits by law. And only 33.4% of persons with severe disabilities receive disability benefits. While 44.9% of mothers with newborns receive a maternity benefit, 33% of the population are not covered by a social health protection scheme and 22.5% of older persons still receive no pension. However, the pandemic provoked an unparalleled social protection response as a primary tool to protect people's health, jobs and incomes. But with an uncertain recovery, further social protection spending to ensure social stability is crucial. Nearly all countries, irrespective of their development level, have arrived at a crossroads and face a choice. Whether to pursue a high-road strategy of strengthening their social protection systems or a low-road strategy of chronic underinvestment, minimalist provision and succumbing to austerity. 
The choices made will have a severe impact on generations to come. So now is the time for countries to heed the pandemic's lessons. Establishing universal social protection is possible, as realizing the human right to social security for all is the cornerstone of a human-centered approach to finally obtaining social justice. Unions in Africa are fighting the increasing privatization of education systems. Seamary Ainsborough has a report. In Ghana and other African countries, education unions are calling on their governments to halt the spread of private schools. The schools, such as those operated by a private company called Omega in Ghana, pay their instructors poverty-level wages and provide them very little training. The Global Union Education International has produced a video of a media conference held by the education unions in Ghana. The unions are urging the government to make amendments to its Education Act in order to stop further commercialization of the country's education system. The teacher unions at the news conference were disturbed. The Omega schools are still extorting monies from parents. Most families with two or more children are compelled to make the difficult choice of which child should attend school and who should not. They complained the schools are solely financed by international giants such as DFID and the World Bank. At Omega, the claim of efficiency in terms of cost saving comes as a result of the exploitation of teachers' labor. Very low salaries are paid to both teaching and non-teaching staff who are indiscriminately recruited. The unions again assured they will engage the Ghana Education Service and Parliament to ensure the Omega schools are regulated. The danger that we are um, making reference to is the fact that today, if we are talking about how teachers are trained compared to what is happening at the Omega schools, they take about three weeks to train a teacher. Meanwhile, in Ghana, the minimum qualification for a qualified teacher should undergo training for not less than three years. This is Seymour Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of the repression of the union-led struggle in Kazakhstan, a rare public protest by judiciary workers in Iran, and a national one-day walkout by French teachers over the inconsistent, inadequate, and unclear COVID-19 restrictions imposed by the French government. But my favorite top story of the week was the ongoing strike by casino workers in Cambodia. There, the workers have announced that their walkout will continue and that they will refuse to meet with their employer or the state to resolve the dispute until the eight women union leaders who have been jailed for leading the strike are released. The strikers are also demanding that the 1,000 workers sacked for participating in the walkout be reinstated. One story that has had a long, perhaps too long, life on our news pages is the effect of the pandemic on healthcare workers. Or, rather, the effects of decades of neoliberal public policy on the ability of healthcare systems around the world to support the workers responsible for caring for us when we fall ill. A quick survey of our news pages in several languages makes it terribly clear. There is nowhere on earth where healthcare workers are not well past the point of exhaustion. 
For our Working Women pages, our volunteers found news of a push to include more women in leadership positions by a Turkish construction workers' union. The fight a British bus driver's co-workers have taken on as they fight for her reinstatement. The first women driver in her area, she was sacked for being too short. And we brought you some good news from South Korea, where the women who work for perfume maker Chanel struck and won a wage increase and a collective agreement. They are continuing their struggle for protections from sexual harassment, and more walkouts are planned. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page and Newswire this week includes the horrific news that five South African city workers were murdered on the job and another two workers shot and wounded. And around the world, education workers are fighting for safe schools for themselves and for their students. Aside from the national strike in France this week, we saw stories on this issue from Canada, Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, India, Spain, Italy, the United Kingdom, Australia, Nigeria, Kenya, Barbados, and from Greece. Our photo of the week is of two of the 22,000 public sector workers who were on strike in the Canadian province of Nouveau-Brunswick last fall in a struggle for a wage increase and to protect their pensions. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the requests of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight an urgent appeal for online solidarity with Ramzi Dardar, a union activist jailed in Algeria on fabricated terrorism charges. In just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the American folk singer Joe Glazer with Too Old to Work. You work hard for a living until you get old And sometimes they push you right out of the cold When you're working times through you don't want charity You'd like to retire with some dignity And you're too old to work too old to work when you're too old to work And you're too young to die Who will take care of you, how you get by When you're too old to work and you're too young to die They put horses to pasture, they feed them on hay Even machines get retired someday the boss gets a pension when he is too old You helped him retire, you're out in the cold And you're too old to work Too old to work when you're too old to work And you're too young to die Who will take care of you, how you get by When you're too old to work And you're too young to die There's no easy answer, there's no easy cure 
dreaming won't change it, that's one thing for sure. But fighting together, we'll get there someday. And when we have won, we'll no longer say, Too old to work, too old to work, when you're too old to work, and you're too young to die. Who will take care of you? How'll you get by when you're too old to work and you're too young to die? When you're too old to work and you're too young to die. And that's it, labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
I worked on a hotline for abusive men once. And the guys who worked on the hotline and the women who worked in the shelter became my heroes. And the guys who called up for help became my heroes too. My heroes are everyday people. Every once in a while somebody famous does something that's hero worthy. But it's mostly our everyday lives that contain the heroic acts. John called on the hotline today. He's my hero for the week. His hand was shaking as he dialed the number and raised the receiver to his mouth to speak. I need some help, he cried. I feel rotten inside. I almost hit hell in my bride. And it's our honeymoon tonight. But others aren't like John They don't make it to the phone Every 15 seconds a woman gets beat up in America in her own home So Gracie takes the woman in To a shelter somewhere Give her sister some support now and 
take away the despair. My heroes are you. My heroes are you. Not just famous, but everyday people in the big, big things that you do. Just want to let everybody know She ain't got much But she always got a couple of bucks For kids to go to the show Danny kicked cocaine He asked for some help And he got some care Look up Courageous In my dictionary there's A picture of Danny there Why Cindy dumped the booze she got some help from AA. Give me strength to see her do it now. She's my hero today. My heroes are you. My heroes are you. Not famous, but everyday people in the big, big things that you do. No movie stars aren't my heroes Unless they do something cool Like Liz Taylor when she give up drinking She said, I gotta go back to school There go Lizzie on back to school, yeah Most politicians talk a lot of crap I trust only one Barbara Lee Tells it like it is, true as the rising sun. Martin Luther King Sr. Watches they murdered his son. Lost his wife to violence and his daughter died, said, I don't hate no one. Whoa, ain't that a man? Mm, ain't that a man? Ain't that a real kicking man? I don't hate no one. All right, that's set. <clears throat> Started out with the uh, coda for uh, Radio Labor. Joe Blaze are really, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, renowned labor minstrel. Uh, in the late 50s from all the way up to the 80s. Too old to work and too young to die. For that one we had Flowers Will Bloom, which was written in 2011 and broadcast on NHK. A Japanese uh, kind of a, a what do I want to say kind of a government supported but no an in, a more independent television network in Japan um, 2011 the huge earthquake that shook the 
Japan and shook the whole world because it freed all kinds of uh, radioactive water into the into the ocean. Anyway, flowers will bloom is what they said. That was the English version. If you want to go back and listen to uh, to another version, which is in all different languages from all over the world, there's a video that goes with it. It's a beautiful kind of message of solidarity and togetherness with people who have suffered <clears throat> cataclysmic weather situations and lost their homes. And um, Charlie Morgan, brother Charlie Morgan, who we lost at, right at the end of July this year, last year. Charlie's singing about who his heroes are. Uh, in a way, unlike uh, the way other people Um, let's talk about some, uh, who we are. This is on uh, Amy Goodman's show. She's talking about a new film. showing a lot of scenes of uh, the civil rights movement and the collision with police at uh, the Pettus Bridge. I don't know if there's going to be any. Justices Bill, Bill Connor so ignobly defended. His weapons were the high-pressure hose, the club, and the snarling dog. Theirs is the filibuster. If America is as revolted by them as it was by Bull Connor, we shall emerge with a victory. It is not too much to ask, 101 years after the emancipation, that senators who must meet the challenge of filibuster do so in the spirit of the heroes of Birmingham. Dr. King continued invoking the powerful memory of the four young African-American girls killed in the racist bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church on September 15, 1963, and two more youth killed in the protests that immediately followed. He wrote, quote, There could be no more fitting tribute to the children of Birmingham than to have the Senate for the first time in history bury a civil rights filibuster. The dead children cannot be restored, but living children can be given a life. The assassins who still walk the streets will still be unpunished, but at least they will be defeated. Those are the words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in 1964. He could have given these, this speech on the floor of the Senate today. Jeffrey Robinson, if you could respond to that, and then in the context of the whole um, subject of your film. Well, I think this is uh, one of the very interesting things. What you just read would likely be banned in any number of states that have, quote-unquote, anti-CRT laws. 
And this is the danger of trying to erase the facts of our history. We can't look back and say, wait a minute, we've been here before. We've been at this exact place before. And if we don't learn from what happened then, we are doomed to take <clears throat> the wrong path as we go forward. The entire purpose of this film is to ask people to take a long, hard look at our actual history of white supremacy and anti-Black racism. That is uh, something that has been really erased from the common narrative and creation story about America. And this film and the Who We Are project is intent on getting it back, getting it back for all of us. Let's bring Emily and Sarah Kunstler into this conversation, the directors and producers of this remarkable film, Who We Are. Talk about how you got involved. It is premiering this weekend. Uh, thank you, Amy. Uh, well, I heard Jeffrey speak, and it was at a—Emily hates when I say this—it was at a continuing legal education seminar, which <laughs> Emily says makes it sound boring. And I expected it to be boring. And I also, uh, the topic was the history of racism in America, and I expected to know it already. That's that's the hubris with which I went into hearing Jeffrey speak for the first time. And I walked out of that room, um, and I couldn't look at anything the same way ever again. I mean, Jeffrey's talk changed my life. And I, I'm a filmmaker, and I make films with my sister, and I knew having left that room having had that transformative experience, that there was certainly a film there and really felt an obligation to help Jeffrey bring his talk to the widest audience possible. So I called Emily and I uh, I got her on the hook and I said, you know, I know what you're doing for the next five years. And th that's how the project started. I want to go to another clip of the documentary, Who We Are. This is what luck looks like. I have worked as hard as anybody in this theater to get where I am today, and I am proud of that, but I am lucky. I was not the smartest kid in my neighborhood, and that ball that we saw rolling back when King got shot, the only reason I didn't get crushed by that ball is that I had unicorns for parents who figured out some way to get their kids into a situation where they had a better chance to succeed. And if that's what it takes to have a legitimate chance at success, having unicorns for parents or just having dumb luck, is that really a country that you want to live in? And so, when you hear words, when you hear the concept expressed of white privilege, I am begging you to think about that in a different way. White privilege doesn't mean that you haven't worked hard. It doesn't mean that you haven't overcome obstacles. It means that you walk through the world differently than the black and brown people in this country. It does not take away from your hard work or your accomplishments at all. It simply says this playing field is not level. That's Jeffrey Robinson, the main subject of this film, Who We Are, dealing with racism in America. As you talk about um, your growing up, Jeffrey, if you could elaborate on that, um, and also uh, talk about your son and how he inspired you as well.
your son, who is also your nephew? Well, uh, in 2011, uh, my sister-in-law, who lived in New York, uh, passed away, and she was a single mom raising my nephew uh, along with her mother. And my sister-in-law passed away in April, and my uh, mother-in-law passed away later that year. So Matthew was 13, and he moved from New York to Seattle. And my wife and I didn't have kids, and all of a sudden we did. And there's a 13-year-old young black male in my house, and I had been a criminal defense lawyer for decades and working on issues of racial justice that entire time, and it got very, very personal. And I was scared, so I started to read. And I don't really know what I was looking for, but I know what I found. And what I found were all kinds of facts about the history of white supremacy and anti-Black racism, the role that those two things played in the founding of our country and going forward from there. And I was shocked, because I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I was born in 1956. I didn't have to read about the civil rights movement. It's what I walked into uh, when I left my home. Uh, my older brother and I integrated a Catholic school in Memphis in 1963. And despite having one of the best educations in America, I was finding out this material in my 50s. And after gathering this material over a period of time and being kind of overwhelmed by it, uh, my training as a criminal defense lawyer kicked in. And one of those precepts is if you have a huge amount of information that's really confusing, put it into a timeline and see what happens. And when I saw what happened, uh, the reaction that uh, Sarah described upon hearing my talk was the reaction that I was having. And I felt ashamed and ignorant because I didn't know this, and I didn't know the context of this information uh, from all of my training and education. And after I forgave myself, I figured I'd blame my teachers because I needed somebody to blame. But then I figured, how can my teachers teach me something that they were never taught? And that's why I started this presentation, and that's why I formed the Who We Are Project. I believe that America has to have what William Burroughs would call a naked lunch moment with our true history. And Burroughs defined a naked lunch moment as that moment when everyone has to look at what is really on the end of their fork. Let's go to another clip of who we are. This is about the U.S. Constitution, about policing and white supremacy. Article 4, Section 2, no freedom for a runaway because slaves have to be returned to owners on demand. And people have said that the, the folks who wrote our Constitution were brilliant, and I agree with that. They were brilliant, and they were sneaky, too, because they said, you know, somebody may try and amend the Constitution and get rid of Article 1, Section 9. So in Article 5, they said, you can't amend Article 1, Section 9 until 1808. This is how important the concept of white supremacy was to the people that founded the country. When they were talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they saw that as being completely consistent with enslaving people. The law picked a side. If you read the historians, they will tell you that modern-day police departments 
were originally formed, especially in the South, in slave patrols. I am not saying that modern-day police officers are members of a slave patrol. They are not. There are law enforcement officers all over America who are fighting for racial justice and constitutional and decent policing in our communities. But I will tell you this, people in my community, from my great-great-great-grandfathers on down, have had a reason to fear that badge because the people wearing it and the weapons and guns that they carried were used to oppress us. So the next time you're wondering, why is there such, such animosity in the black community when it comes to policing? Why is there such concern? It's in our DNA. That's Jeffrey Robinson, the main subject of who we are, a chronicle of racism in America that is premiering this weekend uh, in theaters around the country as a New York Times critic's pick. Jeffrey, the kind of conversations you have with your nephew right now as you talk about the police. Okay, I wanted to uh, alert everybody to that movie, Who We Are. Uh, it's just being released. Hopefully, it'll be uh, in a situation where everyone can appreciate it. Hello. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. Um, I'm calling uh, Rita and Yemen, who are our campus correspondents. They're, they're at uh, UC Davis. And uh, we'd like to get some reaction from hey, the student's point of view is of uh, things that are happening in our society, especially things that in that involve students and their lives. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing very fine. Okay, well, I certainly appreciate your willingness to come on here and share your points of view. The question for this week is, what do you want to happen in, in um, 2022? It's a new year. Everybody does their resolutions. I'd like to know what's important to you guys that, that might happen in our society, the society at large, that would make 2022 a good year for you. Very good question. Okay, I, I took a long time to say it, too. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, well, the obvious one I would say for me would be that the pandemic subsides and that we find a way to manage and cope and that our healthcare system gives itself a nice upgrade from its old ways uh -huh. and uh, its predatory ways as um, it's become too much of a business. Um, and yeah, and I would hope also on that same line that, you know, um, that money incentive for um, health companies, health organizations would also sort of deteriorate more so that we can actually get the good stuff without, you know, all the, you know, complications caused by the lobbyists involved and the government entities and, 
and the senators who are getting, you know, uh, extra money on the side for this company and that company and all that stuff because at the end of the day, we're not receiving the health care that we could get if we were just let be without all this bureaucratic nonsense. That's the first thing I would want. And that's, you know, health care and, you know, pandemic subsiding. Um, the next thing, I wish for a more peaceful world. And, you know, less of this, um, you know, muscle flexing between the superpowers of the world, such as Russia and the United States. China. And China, that's right. You can never forget the sleeping tiger. No, no, let yeah. China sleep, Napoleon said. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, they're actually, you know, in my opinion, they're in charge of the world. Um, and they just, you know, you don't really advertise it. But they, they are, and I hope that we all just get along and, um, you know, that that's it. You know, I know Reagan said, oh, it, imagine how united we would be if we all united towards one alien force. But I don't agree with that, but we could just be united without hating on anybody. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I think that that's really important that we all learn how to get along. Boy, I sure, I certainly agree with you. Well said. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, for me, I would like it if people in society, everyone starts connecting more, like, and, like, part of what is supposed to be American is that, like, we're all supposed to have different opinions and have the right to say what we want and still get along with each other and have a common goal of you know, being part of this country yeah. and the best for the country and the best for the citizens. So I think that we're really divided because of, like, politics, because of race, because of gender, because of um, the vaccine, all these things, like, and I think people really take it too far. Like, it's almost immature. How, it is immature how far people take it and they get so wrapped up and their identity and ego and are like, oh, well, I believe this. And how come you don't believe this? And blah, and then they, yeah, and they have like an attitude about it. And it's just like, are you stupid? Like, it's just a different opinion. Calm down. Like, we still agree about certain things, the main good things. And our intentions could even be the same. We're just coming to different conclusions, you know? And like, it's just better to... Like, it's going to be much easier if you really ever want someone to be on your side to not, like, push them away or, like, tell them they're wrong and blah, blah, blah. Like, actually to listen to them, to listen to their argument and then sort of show them where their argument may be flawed or this or that, but all calmly, you know, because yeah. you can't just, like, get angry because then the next step is violence and the next step is death, you know. So you have to really just chill and i think i don't know i think a lot of people like they get on their high horse you know and it's not just the recent things it's been happening for quite a few years like where you know like across the different uh parties they're so like like unwilling to agree with each other and unwilling to work with each other and um yeah and even like gender politics too like there's like a whole cancel culture thing where it's like, oh, if someone does this one mistake or says this one thing, 
we're going to cancel them. And it's like, what the hell? Like, you know, humans all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And like part of Christianity even is that like you make a mistake and you can be forgiven and given the opportunity to do the right thing. And of course, there are certain things if you do them, yeah, you shouldn't be given any opportunity. But anyways, yeah, I think that kind of culture in America isn't really a winning attitude at all. No, and it's not. It keeps us divided, as you said. Yeah, I don't like the idea of like throwing people away and being like, oh, that person doesn't agree with me, so they have no value anymore. Like, that's not a nice way to think about anybody, you know, because anybody could be changed their mind or anybody could be convinced or... You know, like, everybody's human. We shouldn't discredit people and just act like they're, you know, stumps on a log. Like, they're idiots. Like, you know, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And then um, another thing I would like to see change is people to be more kind to each other. I guess it's kind of the same thing. But, I mean, of course I'd like the virus to end. But in the meantime, I think... You know, if, even if the virus does end and we continue the way we are, things aren't really going to be that great anyways. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I certainly appreciate that you took your time to uh, answer my question. And I hope I certainly agree with you guys. Um, one of these days we'll, you know, make a better world. We just got to keep trying. We got to keep yeah. doing what we're doing and, and try to make the world a better place yeah. for everybody, right? Yeah. Make a better world in our own world first and then throughout the rest of the world. Okay. Well, thank you, Vita and Yemen. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hope you guys have a good week and I'll cool. be talking to you soon. Okay. Take care. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. So that was Vita and Yemen, our campus correspondents. And their, uh, their um, points of view, I mean, pretty simple, okay, when you, when you think about it. Pretty simple about it. It's, uh, you know, that people get along better, that li they listen to one another. That we don't jump out, you know, and start fighting. Uh, we try to listen and try to find common ground. It'll happen. It'll happen. As King said, I've been to the mountaintop. And I've seen the promised land. And this is just another way of saying what was expressed in a song called Tipperary great uh, essayist George Santiana wrote that Tipperary is a place but it's also a, a point of view an idea a place where uh, people have a society that's human based where people reach out to one another instead of reaching for their guns
It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tipperary, but we'll get there, I know. Just as Dr. King was saying, we'll get to the promised land. Okay, we had about who we are. About a few minutes left. Let's uh, take the opportunity to play some music. Um, how about this one? Okay, Weaver's there. Um, 1949, the Weavers recorded Irene Goodnight, the uh, number one hit all over America. And they were slated to have a TV show. And uh, people red baited them. They were members of the Communist Party, as Pete Seeger said at the time. My, my political opinions are my business. Chairman Muntz, chairman of the HUC, are his own. At any rate, the, the show was canceled. Weavers uh, never did make it to the big time. They had such a chance to do it. People like Pete Seeger and Lee Hayes and other members of the group went on and had uh, more or less 
successful careers as uh, as um, soloists. FM, it's a great place to listen to crazy things. Let's watch full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of <laughs> YouTube uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent, five percent. Right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. Five p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, uh, let's watch full length. Oh, wait, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, yeah. See you next month. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? 
We'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey, Mutineers, Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Since 1971, the San Francisco Tenants Union has been fighting for the rights of tenants and for the preservation of affordable housing in San Francisco. Starting from the struggle for rent control in the 1970s, the Tenants Union has been the city's leading advocate for tenants. The Tenants Union is supported by membership and counseling donations, and this enables advocacy to be uncompromising and not influenced by pressures from government or other funders. It is a 501c4 since it campaigns for political candidates, so generally donations are not tax deductible, although large donations may qualify. Please visit WFTU.org for more information. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio, in San Francisco. Flat black plastic. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Saturday. What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out aclunc.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Alex, Ed, can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good. Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4AltaCalifornia.com. Oh, my God. 
Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be... Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Why not make a donation? Streaming live the station. Districts of the mission. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, Disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor.
was in this place in Texas, off of this road that was said to be